ever wondered who and what is shaping Luxembourg? This is your Lux Unplugged podcast with your hosts, Adrian and Thierry. Hi, I'm Adrian. Happy New Year and welcome back to another episode of the Lux Unplugged podcast. On this occasion, I get together with Georges Kronbach, Head of Sales and Marketing at the Londovic Group. In this conversation, Georges and I have a very candid and brutally honest exchange on various aspects of Luxembourg. Listeners might certainly appreciate this. Lundevik is an established tobacco family business which originated in Luxembourg back in 1847. It's a truly global enterprise with a major focus on export. Josh is part of the sixth generation and joined the family firm in 2010 while spending a bit of time abroad. A very discreet but very successful business, Lundevik operates in a highly scrutinized industry, of course due to the nature of its activities. Hence, I asked Georges how a mid-tier company like his compete from a marketing point of view, knowing that such firms are heavily regulated. We then discussed the rationale behind Londovic's decision to have a production plant in Luxembourg and what it takes for a pure player industrial player to receive the full support from public authorities. After talking about Londovic's environmental and social responsibilities in the communities where it operates, I wonder how this family business has managed to preserve its DNA over such a long period of time. There are indeed various components that are essential for a family to keep the firm running without causing internal turmoil. But now, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Georges Kronbach, Head of Sales and Marketing at the Londovic Group. Josh, welcome to the Lux Unplugged podcast. Hi. It's great to have you on. So before we kick off our show or this episode, we have a very established tradition on the, on the podcast. So before we dive into Lundovic and all its history, could you please, for the benefit of our audience, introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, George Krombach. I'm a Luxembourgish native. Uh, I'm born in 1980, so I'm now 41 year old. And I started my... Uh, Working career at the L'Oréal Group in, in Paris in uh, 2005 after after long and intense studies, of course. And I was working for marketing and product development for various international brands. And then I started at uh, Londovic, which is a family business active in uh, tobacco and other other products, wholesale and real estate in Luxembourg. I started that in 2010. Uh, but between uh, in the last 10 years, I also worked for th- three years, I think, in, in New York uh, for other companies. And today I'm um, head of sales and marketing at Londovic. So before you joined the Londovic Group, you had experiences abroad. So um, you um, you got your marks in in you know in other countries, which is important in in a, in a very globalized world. So uh, so what was your if you had to summarize it, what what was the biggest or one of the biggest lessons that you you had? The biggest lessons is uh, that you should always question yourself and uh, never be. Uh, sure of of course you you know what you've done but uh, when you start a new position you always need again to start at uh, the point zero huh? so uh, and that is uh, that is i think for me that was the most uh, important lesson it's always you are quickly in a comfort zone in your life huh? is that in your uh, private life is that in your business life so taking big turns and starting in a new position it's taking you out of this comfort zone in what i call the learning zone and maybe sometimes the panic zone, huh? because uh, then you don't know what the people think about you. You don't know the processes. You don't know the products you're selling. You're getting a bit frightened. And But at the end of the day, we're all uh, kind of, I don't say that we're all smart minds, but uh, we're supposed to, to think. And uh, so we can do it. And it's this can-do attitude. 
that I learned also in in the US, I think, uh, and that inspired me a lot to, yeah, to to approach things with a, with a fresh eye. And uh, having worked in different countries, uh, I also worked in Hong Kong. Yeah, I worked in London. I worked in in New York, uh, Paris, uh, and. Uh, uh, having this fresh eye and not being arrogant, I think that's uh, a, a very strong asset for also for Luxembourgers, I would say. This is more like a Luxembourg-centric question I'm about to ask, but how did you feel when you came back to Luxembourg? How did you feel? Because it's very unusual for Luxembourgers to spend a longer period of time abroad. It's it's generally something, you know, they, they, they like starting off their careers in Luxembourg because conditions are, are most of the time better than anywhere else. That's, that's, I mean, we've discussed that before on the podcast with other guests, but I, I just wanted to to have your your feel. How did you just feel when you came back uh, compared to what you just experienced the, the the years beforehand? Luxembourg, I think when you come back from from abroad, from Paris or from from the US to Luxembourg, it's a cotton. Luxembourg is cotton, cotton candy. It's uh, in terms of social social systems, in terms of education, in terms of financial support for families. Uh, it's a paradise. Uh, it's, I always uh, remember the story when I went to the dentist in the U.S. and I uh, I had some some tooth pain and I went to the dentist and uh, I opened my mouth. Uh, that was in, in mid midtown, midtown, uh, midtown New York. I opened my mouth and then it was an old old dentist and he looked into my mouth and he said, eight hundred, sixteen hundred, two four hundred. Is that like dentist code? No, that was the dollars I had to pay to get my cavities treated. Huh? So, <laughs> so it was that's the American way of of, of healthcare, and I was so shocked. So I'm, at the end of the day, I flew back to Luxembourg to get it treated for eighty one euros. So that's the that's the reality. And uh, so you need you need to see those things and to understand that Luxembourg is a is a heaven a heaven for employees, a, a social heaven. Uh, and 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 that uh, that that totally changes your state of mind and your perspective. Uh, and I always push young young people to get out of Luxembourg to to understand what what kind of chance they have to get back to Luxembourg. Because because once you're in this country, it's very rare that you get out again because you are in this comfort zone in your life, and uh, and that's not good for the economy in Luxembourg. Now back to Lundervik. So Lundervik is a, a one of the rare one of the well, it's a big group, but um, still very discreet and very much in line with uh, Luxembourg traditions, not making too much noise about them, but very present uh, nationally. So um, for people actually who don't know the business or don't know the group, can you please walk us through it? What's its mission? What's the whole thing behind this? Yeah, Landevig is a legacy business in Luxembourg. It's uh, It was formerly called Heinz van Landevig. It was founded in uh, 1847. So I'm the, I'm the sixth generation. And uh, it's a tobacco business, and tobacco businesses is maybe not the oldest business on earth. There are other businesses that are older, but uh, which you might know. But tobacco is one of the oldest, and it's one of the most uh, traditional businesses. Huh? It's like uh, be it the brewery business or this kind of stuff. You must know that back in the days, in 1850, in the 1850s, there were in Luxembourg there were over 12 tobacconists. Back in the days, it was not industrialized, so it was like a butcher shop. Huh? So you had to the, the sales lady that was the wife, she was selling the raw tobacco to, to pipe smokers and cigar smokers and snuff, snuff tobacco. And then around 1890, uh, the steam steam came and that industrialized the whole, uh, the whole business. So the machines came into it. And then in 1930, brands came and that were the, the Americans. They came with brands, Camel, Lucky Strike in the Second World War. 
before that you had the the houses were called like the families and it was uh, like Philip Morris or uh, Heinz von Landewig and uh, and Lorillard in, in in the US and that's very that's family names and then the international brands came Camel Lucky Strike Winston uh, the Marlboro came Marlboro revolutionized the world uh, they they had until today uh, Marlboro has the best marketing uh, FMCG or CPG marketing I would say in the US. I've, I've seen so far in terms of brand building, they totally revolutionized the industry again. There was a huge consolidation taking place. And yeah, since then you have four big players in tobacco, uh, which you may know, which I will not quote. And then you have, I think, five to six family players left on earth. And we are one of those. So we are one of the rare uh, tobacco manufacturers. So we are active in 45 markets. We manufacture in three different factories, one in Luxembourg, one in Hungary, one in Germany. Yeah, and we export, as I said, in, in the two, about 40, 45 markets, 10, 10 to 15 different brands. And every day, 2.1 million consumers buy our products on Earth. Is it still the case that, I mean, it's a more side question, does the business or the majority of the business for Lundervik, is it still sourced through Luxembourg you know, with people crossing the border? We are a uh, multinational group now. And of course, Lux- the Luxembourg market is an important market for us. It's also an emotional market because we have our industrial footprint here and we invested now 80 million euros in a new factory in the heart of Luxembourg. So Luxembourg is, of course, very important for us. Uh, the sales of the border, the border business. Luxembourg was always historically seen a border business for all kinds of industries. Was that the liquors? Was that uh, the banks? Was that the, uh, the tobacco? Was that water? Was that coffee? Our internal market is too small. Uh, it's a bit like uh, Liechtenstein or Malta. There can't be an industry in Luxembourg without external markets. So the border business was always key. And then back in the days in 1920, there was the Zollverein with Germany that stopped. Then the market switched to to, to France. So all the, all the Luxembourgish industry, like the Mercier Champagne, was always connected to those countries around us. So that's a natural uh, history for us. And that also had a very important impact on our state of mind again because if we invent new products if we come up with new strategies we think beyond borders so if we come up with a new product it needs to be ready for french people for german people for belgian people for american people they need to understand the naming the branding the emotion and i think that shaped a lot of the industry in luxembourg to make luxembourg uh, become an export champion now, you were just actually anticipating one of the other questions that um, i wanted to, to actually ask because i mean we did discuss it briefly offline uh, before we uh kicked off the uh, conversation but um, marketing for for tobacco products is not the same as any other industry because the your industry is much more regulated for reasons that are uh, self-explanatory most uh, most notably uh, for health reasons so um, in your capacity so you um, you head up the sales and marketing department how does it make it different for you to approach this this kind of industry when you want to to actually address your your target market and still you know make sure that you've got your, your clients coming back and consuming your brand and uh, and even expanding it actually because uh, because again you, you you cannot have the same visibility or gain the same visibility as any other non-tobacco based products yeah we are in a heavy regulated industry it's a bit like the pharmaceutical industry or the liquor industry but you also need to know that in uh, the world is big and there are many countries on earth and in many countries regulation is has another let's say it's different than from Europe, so you have other possibilities in other countries. That's one point. The other point is, if you're a small actor, 
uh, it's it's kind of evident what I say. You, know, you need to be agile and, and and quick and dynamic and be very creative. And the more there are restrictions, the more creative you get. So uh, that's one. That's the second point. And the third point, which is important, the end of the the ad ban in the tobacco industry, which came in the 90s and the 2000s, uh, was for us in fact also a good thing because the very big tobacco guys stopped or had to stop the advertising. So at the end of the day, what matters today is more product quality, shop presence, the power of your salespeople, the price of your product, of course. Uh, and you need, if you have a fast moving consumer good, the only rule you have is to be everywhere. Huh? So you need to be on a customer journey. You need to, to be in the, in the, when the customer gets up, you need to be in the shop where he comes, in the petrol station, in the bar in the evening, you need to be everywhere. And that's the strength of distribution. And that's our marketing today. Huh? So we are everywhere with our products. We try to have the best packaging. We try to have the best prices. We are in a very price sensitive business. Uh, smokers are, smoking is getting very expensive these days. And yeah, as you may know, Pennies are also getting rare, huh? so uh, people are looking uh, what they can get for their for their buck. So we try to offer the best uh, the best possibility for the smoker. And as we don't have the same profitability requirements than the listed companies, we can play more with the prices. So I think the guys that are listed on in New York or, or London, they have very high profitability uh, requirements from the from the, your your banker guys, and uh, and we don't have to play by this uh, playbook. So, so yeah, you've got more flexibility. You're more agile co- compared to um, to big yeah. fish um, with because uh, they they have uh, other restrictions linked to their their listed status. But from a marketing point of view, I would imagine they have much higher means to to deploy a marketing machine. You know, again within the limits of of in which they can operate. But how do you compete in that sense? Is it are you at the same level playing fields, or is it? Is it no, of course means? we don't have we don't have those deep pockets they have. Huh? It's uh, you 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 cannot compete against those uh, Ferraris, I would say, uh, with our uh, small engine we have. But yeah, again, on the field in a fast moving fast moving means you need to be very dynamic and quick. Uh, so we have an own. Like, I give an example, we have an own printing house. So if we want to change packaging, we can do that overnight. Uh, the big guys, they cannot do that. They have to buy their labels, their, their product labels. Uh, they have outsourced that, so they need to wait two to three months. During that time, we have already changed the pack, changed the product, uh, changed the price, and they are still in their boardrooms discussing what they should do and how they should do it. And then somebody is uh, on vacation. During that time, we have already sold containers. So it is a, it is a totally different approach that we have. And, uh, and uh, of course, if those guys dis- decide to change uh, gear to go on the market, they do it fully blast, carpet bombing. And of course, then we suffer. But meanwhile, we have again moved to another market where they are not and where, where they still have to decide what to do. And I think if you work in big corporates, you know how it works and decisions are slow. People want to protect their ass. There's a lot of backstabbing going on. And then uh, six months later, maybe a decision is taken when everybody is okay and everybody has green light to the product. So the product is maybe not that nice and it's a bit bland. And while we always try to be out with a very exciting product, exciting brands, we only need to focus on consumers and not on our shareholders or management uh, bonuses. That's not our priority. And that uh, makes us a real con- consumer. It's it's a fashion word this day, a yeah? consumer-centric business. But that is really our our engine of growth. I was thinking about the um, unique selling points for Lundevik. Um, you you said earlier that you've got manufacturing plants in Hungary, 
Germany, yeah, and Luxembourg, yeah. And we've had guests on the guests on the show previously that um, have always found that the indus- industrial policy from the Luxembourg government is not sufficiently generous to accommodate industry players, as opposed to services that are you know financial services has been traditionally or not traditionally, but in the recent decades has been has been the, the highest grossing in you know industry for from tax purposes in that sense or in general so for you um why is why is it actually important to manufacture your products in in luxembourg why what's your what's the benefit of doing that knowing that you could probably manufacture or concentrate manufacturing in other countries which are you know where probably you could juice up margins and and lower costs right yeah you need to know that um, we are an industrial family and luxembourg gave us so much the market, uh, the politics, the consumers gave us so much that we decided to build our new plant in Luxembourg. And it's a bit of a weird decision indeed. Other, all other big listed groups are going to Bulgaria, Ukraine, Poland to build their factories because, of course, the average wage is 300 euros and not 3,000 euros. So uh, that decision was also, it was also kind of emotional decision, which is, uh, yeah, tricky in, in business terms. But... Yeah, we are very proud of Luxembourg and we want to continue the in this, in this industrial story in Luxembourg. And I need to say, and I want to say that we got a lot of support from the communes, from the state to find ground uh, in the heart of Luxembourg to build our new factory. And Luxembourg also supports industry if they say, if they see that it's legacy business and there is families behind. Luxembourg is proud of it in this industry. Of course, industry is, is not sexy anymore. You have chimneys, you need a lot of land. So you hire workers that are coming from abroad. So there's traffic. Uh, it's the NIMBY effect and on my backyard. Uh, that's that's. Uh, but I think in all in Western countries, this is the same state of mind. So industry has a, a different, a difficult, a difficult uh, moment these days, and it will be more difficult in the future. But nevertheless. Uh, in Luxembourg, everybody knows each other, so decisions can be taken still quickly. And uh, everybody was very proud to offer us uh, the land we have now. And I must say that if you have a clear vision with an industry in Luxembourg and you have a legacy business in Luxembourg, then uh, the state and the communes are behind. So would you disagree with the view of, of many industrial players in Luxembourg that I mean, you're benefiting from a better setup compared to anyone else that would want to be uh, running an industry or an, industri- an industrial business in, in Luxembourg? It is difficult if you are not from Luxembourg to build a factory in Luxembourg. That's for sure. People don't know you. We have a bit of farmer mentality. Huh? So what we don't know, we don't like. That's what I said again in the beginning. You don't. You should not be arrogant in Luxembourg. That's. It's not because you're rich and you have a big brand that you can build a factory in Luxembourg. No, that's not the way it goes in Luxembourg. You need to speak to the communes, to the people who live in the in the in the, in the ground, and once they they get to know you, of course they are then in favor of building industries. That's one thing. The other thing is Luxembourg is still in the, It's centrally. It's in the heart of Europe. So it's an ideal place to export. And we have people from all over the place here. We have French, we have Australians, US people. We have Amazon here. Amazon has now 3,500 people here. They're looking for 600 more people. The the base we have of, of skilled employees, of creative employees, financial guys, it's amazing that you, you could not find that in France or in, uh, in Germany. So there is a, a highly skilled... Uh, 
yeah, highly skilled people around that can help industries to be better, to compete against the big ones. So I must say there are a lot of advantages being in Luxembourg. And let's stop complaining every day. Yeah, it's uh, I think industry has, a, has a, as I say, as I said, a complicated situation in Western Europe. But that was always the case, and it will be the case. So uh, let's forget that and be constructive and make the most out of of what we have in Luxembourg. And I, I must say, it's an uh, it's it's a privilege to to be an industry in Luxembourg. And of course, it's not easy every day, but uh, we should not complain about uh, the things we get because, as I said. A lot of Luxembourg is cotton candy. Yeah. Tobacco industry is um, is known for, I mean, it's a hash, hash or high cash uh, yielding um, uh, industry in general. But at the same time, uh, it comes at some costs, you know, from a from a societal perspective. You know, you, smoking is is known for not being healthy. But again, um, at the same time, companies that are in that industry presumably are trying to to compensate for this by uh, via being more, you know, ESG compliant, so environmental, social, and governance compliant, or doing their bit in in the, in the community, so to speak. So for you, um, from a Lundervik perspective, how are you trying to contribute to it? I've cited one example. So cigarette butts, it's always been a very tricky thing. You know, they people just smoke and then and toss them out, leave them on the floor. Um, and it takes time for them to disintegrate. And, and it, it just impacts the, the whole environment, essentially. So um, overall, how, how do you approach then uh, your environmental policy or anything that's corporate social responsibility in, in that sense? Yeah, I always tend to say now ESG is very fashion huh, these days. Uh, it's uh, and also the big uh, audit guys they are pushing that because they can uh, invoice a lot of ESG consulting. So it's a very hot topic for them. I, I I don't know how much of their turnover is now made by ESG consulting, but it will be big in the future because every country, every company wants it. Um, there is, and I think you've read this, there's a lot of greenwashing going on of all those ESG bonds and uh, at the end of the day, nobody really knows what it is. So we are very cautious with it. Uh, we never jump on uh, things uh, where we think other people have invented this with other agendas than the real, the real reality behind it. So let's be cautious, but let's be honest, as a family business, ESG is at the state of what you do. Huh? Uh, we we are in Luxembourg. People know where we are, who we are. So of course we want to protect the environment. It's 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 clear that we we will not put uh, dirty water in, in the sewage or because we are we are the heart of the country. So protecting the environment is for us an, an evidence. And then social social uh, social stuff. Uh, we have people in the factory, it's the third generation and the workers on the lines. So it's the third generation that they work in the company and their grandfathers worked here. So it's uh, we respect our people and we respect also, of course, the farmers. We are in foundations to protect uh, or to avoid child labor in Africa and South, South America. At the end of the day, it's also very complicated. Some tobacco growers or coffee growers or tea growers, at the end, you can never in the morning get up and check every family if the, the the kids are, are picking picking the leaf uh, the, um, tea leaves. It's, uh, it's 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 cultural things in different countries like in Sri Lanka, but there is education going on where we support that financially how we can to change the cultures in those countries. That's of course a thing we do. And then governance, yeah, we are a family group. Governance is never perfect in any in, in no company, that's for sure. But on the other hand, you must know we don't think in quarterly reports. Our decisions are not taken to maximize uh, the end of year result, to optimize the bonus of the manager. And I think 
again, everybody who has worked in a corporate knows that when it's closing end of the year, uh, you are uh, you need to sell a bit more to get that uh, target, to attain that target, and uh, I think we all know that. Huh? And that's not how we how we think. We think in generations. Huh? I, I always say, in the family business, you are just the gardener uh, of a garden, and yeah, some some trees are getting old, so you need to to put a new a new seed in in the ground so that the next generation can harvest that. And that's how we do it. So I think if you think in generations. The whole governance aspect is a bit an empty word. That is, it is. We 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 guys, our families, we live for those companies, and uh, we not been, so we can from time to time, of course, pick an apple from the tree. But our goal is to that that, that the tree goes on, that the tree lives on to the next generations. And I think uh, that is also something very important for our employees. They know that they see that that we are here, and that the next generation is is popping up. So ESG is something that was now invented by, 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 by corporate and by audit, but it is something that for family businesses is an evidence since 100 years. We've had a number of um, family businesses coming onto this podcast. And uh, the one thing I'm always interested in is understanding, you know, Luxembourg is a small market, but I mean, in your case, you are a global business. That's a different thing. So maybe you have a, a, dif- a different view here, but maintaining the nature of the family business is very complicated in a highly competitive world, right? And um, as you are the sixth generation, as I understand it, what are what are for you the, the key components in the family just to be sure that, you know, Landovic will still be around in the next unlimited generations so that, you know, they will still talk of you in 100 or 200 years' time? It is, if you want to survive, it is very important that you are, that your organization or that you are, heavily organized and structured in terms of family rules who can operate in a business in the family business how are decisions taken so the whole governance i'm coming back to governance which is a very important topic uh, how the how the decisions are taken who can take them who can be part of a family business imagine that you have an uh, that you are in industry let's say and then you have an artist a cousin who is an artist uh, and he wants to join the family business because he finds no job or and he comes in and he has no role and everybody is respecting him. We always say, if a family member says that the walls should be painted in pink, everybody will say, oh, pink is the color the walls need to have. And that's a big danger. So you need to avoid that people are working in a business that are not best in class. I don't say that I'm best in class, far from that, but there are clear and strict rules who can work in the family business. That's one thing. And then we need to have uh, boards and supervisory boards with external people who help us to open our eyes, to reinvent us. A, a big disease every business has and every corporate business has is to be busy with itself. To just think, what, how can we do things in, in-house and what, how should we organize ourselves? But your eyes need to be on the ball. Huh? The ball is out there. You need to be... Uh, in the customer's pocket, and we need to we need to know what customers want in terms of cigarettes, in terms of new generation products, and to be busy with to be busy with ourselves. And all the big corporates have that, and family businesses too. That's a cancer, a cancer for for businesses these days, and it kills you. So we always need to have uh, boards with external people that help us to keep our eyes open, focus on what is essential, and that is the market, that is the consumer. And to avoid that we are just having emotions uh, leading our, our decisions and discussions. And that is for all family businesses that end, it's always emotional 
discussions of uh, why is he doing that, why is she doing this, and then at the end of the day they sell the businesses because they just want to avoid those emotions and discussions. And that's uh, but you can clearly avoid this if you have a clear structure, a clear governance, and clear rules who can do what, when, and where. And then normally, uh, if you're some somehow not too stupid, you will survive. So you, so you would envision, uh, or it would be possible, for instance, that Lundvik would be, at the executive level, would be entirely run by non-family members. Totally, yeah, totally, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. While yeah, still yeah. the family keeping ownership or control. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm now uh, sales and marketing. I, I have the CEO is uh, above me, and he's my boss, and he we're often not on the same line, uh, and we are not, uh, we don't agree sometimes. But yeah, he helps me on what to do, and I. I I do what he says, huh? so it's uh, it's a normal structuring all companies, and that's very important because who am I to say that all my decisions and ideas are the best? Huh? That's uh, far from that. Huh? So uh, you need to be very, very non-arrogant again. I always coming back to what I said before, huh? and uh, humble, and be consumer-centric, and that's the most important. It's not about positions and being the boss, or of course uh, the, everybody has his ambitions, and it's important to have ambitions, but. Business first and uh, results first, and then we speak about positions. I said earlier in the, at the very beginning of this uh, conversation that I definitely wanted to touch on things that you've known of Luxembourg, and um, you know you're coming back with the whole experience and uh, things that you, you can now put in perspective. So, one of our favorite questions is um, for many guests, of course, for our audience: if you had a chance now to change anything in Luxembourg. And that's what I'm talking about from a domestic point of view. So really, like, is there's expats that have got views, but you're you're Luxembourg nationals, a native. So what would you change if you had a chance to do that? I would immediately make it compulsory for everybody to work five years abroad uh, in a non-European country. Is that India, China, the US? I think if if you work in New York or in the US, I know it's it's not easy to work there, but that opens your eyes. And uh, then you come back with another appetite for ambition, with another appetite for social stuff, to be more uh, social with employees. Uh, you, you understand what Europe is as a strength, how great Europe is, the culture we have, the languages, the food, the emotions, the beauties. And that will make you happy for your whole life. And that gives you such a positive spirit and uh, that would change a lot of mentalities uh, of Luxembourgers. But I don't say that Luxembourgers have a, a bad mentality, but I think French and German, everybody who has never moved and cannot put things in perspective is always a bit grumpy, I say. And uh, just thinking about his little square meter. And once you've traveled, traveling is also important. And worked abroad, you come back and you are a happy, a happy boy and a happy woman. To conclude on that, uh, Georges, I'd like to thank you for uh, taking the time to speak to me today. I'm very uh, glad that we could discuss uh, Lundervik and, and your role. Yeah, thank you, Adrien. It was very fun. Thanks for listening to the Lux Unplugged podcast. Please share this podcast with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, please don't forget to visit our website, luxunplugged.com. And see you next time. Mm-hmm.